Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Small Talk podcast. My name is Katie Fairman, and in this week's episode, I feel like we're ticking a lot of boxes. I have just come back from going to a circuit that was on my motorsport bucket list. I got my first taste of endurance racing. I went behind the scenes with the Falcon Tires team, and I'm going to tell you all about it, everything that I learned. And it was such an educational experience. Like, I really am excited to tell you all about it. And I got the chance to not only meet, but also interview one of my favorite people in the entire world, Sebastian Vettel. Yes. If that doesn't get your mouths watering for this week's episode, I don't know what will. So without further ado, grab yourself a drink. I actually made myself a cup of tea in my special Nürburgring mug that I bought in the gift shop this weekend. Spoiler alert, I went to the Nürburgring, by the way. But I have spent so much time faffing this week for the start of the episode because it's being filmed and we're going to try and make this podcast all professional as much as I can do at least that I've actually drunk all the tea already but that doesn't stop you from having one so put that kettle on get yourself a cuppa get nice and cozy and let's get into the episode Okay, so there we go. I have just come back from going to the Nürburgring. And I know the word iconic gets thrown around a lot, especially in motorsport, but this circuit really is that. It has got so much history behind it. Formula One used to race there back in the day. Um, In fact, we did go back there quite recently in 2020 for the Eiffel Grand Prix, which was in the pandemic. But the Nürburgring or the Nordschleife, however you want to look at it, is a circuit that I have always wanted to go to because it's just like such an incredible place. The circuit is known for being really risky, quite dangerous. It got given a nickname, the Green Hell, by Sir Jackie Stewart. One, because of how crazy dangerous it was, but also the fact that it was surrounded by so much forest. Like, I felt like I was in a sea in like twilight or something. It was, I've never seen so many trees in all my life. But yeah, it's a circuit that has got lots of different layouts, a bit like Paul Ricard in that sense, except there is a lot more elevation. And like I said, a lot more trees in Paul Ricard, which just looks a bit like a car park at times. But yeah, the North Loop, for example, is 20 kilometers long, which is nearly 13 miles. I mean, if you think about something like Monaco, which is what, like 3.1 or 3.3 kilometers long. It's one of the shortest circuits on the calendar. And I know that that's quite an unfair comparison, but you know, one's maybe like Baku or something like that is five or six kilometers. Having a circuit that is 20 kilometers just gives you some idea of the scale of the thing. Like it goes on for so long. And as a result, the lap times are really long, which is something that I'm not used to in Formula One. You know, we come away from these circuits and you get people like Max Verstappen getting pole with like a one minute 20 something. Whereas here, like they're so much longer. You can have a lap that seems to feel like it goes on for a lifetime. But anyway, we're not talking about that. We're talking about why I was at the Nürburgring. So I was there with Falcon Motorsports this weekend and they very kindly paid for my hotels and my flights, which is amazing because I wanted to go out to the event anyway. So this was a really interesting way for me to experience my first endurance race. And Falcon are really interesting in the sense that they are actually a tire manufacturer. 
And so you might be thinking, why does a tire manufacturer have its own team? It would be, I guess, in a weird way, like Pirelli having its own team in Formula One, for example. But in fact, Falcon have found it to be super handy having their own team because of all the information that they can gather from what the cars will get up to, um, how, you know, the, maybe the wear on the tire is behaving and they can use that information to then make their road tires, for example, better compounds, longer lasting, all of this kind of stuff. So yeah, Falcon are currently celebrating their 40th year. And for the race, the NSL, which is the name of the championship this weekend, um, they entered a pair of the Porsche 911 GTR 992 cars, which, oh my goodness, they are so beautiful. And I got a chance actually to have a look around one of them. Firstly, my biggest takeaway was how light it was. I had a chance to um, open and close one of the doors and it's made of carbon fiber. So much like an F1 car in the sense that it's very, very light. They have so many interesting features that you would never find in something like an F1 car or Formula E car. There was even a spare mobile phone that is kept near the driver's seat. So that if you're doing a lap of the Nordschleife, and as we mentioned, it's 13 miles long, if you somehow have an issue and you break down and you need to get in contact with your team, there was like this spare mobile that's there. Um, Although sometimes because this circuit is in the middle of nowhere, it's in the Eiffel region of Germany, there might be no signal when you break down on the side of the circuit. So you've got to just sit and wait it out. Um, The race on Saturday was only six hours long. I say only six hours long, but there have been teams like there's a 24 hours of Nürburgring, which is like a really famous event that I'm really, I'm hoping to go to next year, but we're going to manifest it. We're going to see if it can happen because that really would be amazing. But yeah, like it's such an interesting car. Like the world of GT racing, I think is one that I'm really interested in exploring more about. But yes, there were two of these Porsche 911 GT3 R cars that were entered and they managed to finish second and third overall. Like the team is already very competitive. They won um, one of the previous races not too long ago, but I'm going to say that I bought them lots of luck so that hopefully they'll invite me to lots of other races. But I also seem to have brought the good weather with me because it was so sunny in the Nürburgring, which apparently is a real rarity. Like I got an itinerary before the weekend began and it was like, please bring shorts, a rain jacket, sunscreen, an umbrella, like basically prepare yourself for all of the elements But actually, throughout the whole time I was there, it was sunny. It was like glorious weather. It was beautiful, which apparently isn't normally a thing. So I'm going to say that I not only bought them luck, but I bought some good weather as well. Also, what's really um, unique about the NSL championship is that it's not just one tyre supplier. So Falcon don't supply all of the teams. They supply lots of other teams as well as their own one. But you've also got the lights of Michelin there. You have Goodyear, you have Pirelli, and all of these tire manufacturers can supply. And it adds like a whole new element of strategy, which I think is something that's super interesting. When I went to Zandvoort recently, I sat down with Mario Isola, who is the um, sort of head guy at Pirelli for the F1 thing. And we were talking about tire wars, and he was saying that he likes there to be only one tire supplier because of course he'd say that because it's Pirelli he doesn't want any competition he was saying that he likes there only being one tire supplier because it makes the driver the star of the show but actually having an additional layer of competition of 
um, uncertainty, all of this kind of stuff. Like, like I said, the weather was so hot that we were saying like, how are the tires going to perform in these hot conditions? Like it's going to degrade much quicker, surely. And the fact that all of the teams on the grid will be having to work out different strategies, different pit stops because their compounds might be longer lasting or all these different kind of elements, I think is so, so cool. And also as a little side note, you could just, once a tire set of tires had been used, you could um, line up and you could be given a tire um, if the team didn't want them anymore. So Falcon were really good at this. And I think it's a real element of like helping and showing the accessibility and like um, giving back to the fans, if you will. But yeah, they'd obviously take them off of their the rims and all that kind of stuff and scrub them all down and then hand the tires back out. But it was a really interesting thing of seeing people like walking down the pit lane, like rolling these tires. And to be fair, if I wasn't flying back, I would definitely try and nab one because you see all these people that can make coffee tables and stuff out of them. And it looks really, really cool. So yeah, what was funny though is so yeah, Falcon were doing it and so were Michelin, so were Goodyear and then you walk past Pirelli and they just had a sign that was like scribbled on the back of something in a Sharpie that just said, no tire. Like they clearly were not messing around. They didn't want anybody to have their hands on a Pirelli. But um, for the other teams, they were really like, yeah, good at handing them out to fans. And actually on the topic of fans... If you are after a championship or a racing series to try where you really want that next level of accessibility, then the NSL is definitely it because you can, everybody can go on the grid, which was amazing, but my goodness, it was so chaotic because I mean, there are like over a hundred people that compete in these races. They don't all start at the same time. They have like two or three separate starting like rolling starts for the different um, classes and things like that. So you haven't got a grid of a hundred cars all going into turn one because that would be absolute chaos. But um, anyone can go on the grid. And so you've got all these cars that people are blowing whistles trying to get you to move out the way. But yeah, you can like walk through people's garages, like teams' garages while they're working on the cars and things like that. Obviously, you've got to be respectful. You can't just be getting in the way. I was amazed, like having come from like Formula One, for example, when I was in Zanvor and everything is obviously so strict and supervised to something like this, it was really refreshing to see that level of accessibility. But yeah, so I was there with Falcon on the day before the racing, I sat down and talked to their driver, David Pittard, who had recently won the race before this. And he's a Brit and he was so lovely. They ended up finishing second, his team, with Klaus Backler. I'm really bad at pronunciations, as you all know, if you've listened to my podcast, but they are in car three. And yeah, David was super lovely. And he was telling me about how he got into racing. He did a lot of go-karting when he was younger with some of his mates. And then it just kept like getting bigger and bigger and he kept doing more racing and then like most racing drivers it seems to be there was a patch where he didn't have much funding and so then he got into driver coaching it was like a really interesting chat and I just want to like shout him out and say thank you for taking the time to talk to me about all of that because it is a super interesting side and sometimes I think I'm guilty of it so I'm sure other people are of like remembering that, yeah, there are more drivers than just those that we see at the top of like Formula One or in Formula E or rally and things like that. Like there are so many talented people that are in other disciplines. 
So it was really great to to meet those guys. And then in Carrefour, which came third, ready for some more pronunciations, we had Martin Raginger and Dennis Fetzer. Um, and yes, they also finished on the podium. So we had a double podium finish. I say weed like I'm anything to do with their good result. I literally am not at all. But yeah, it was an amazing experience. And so, yes, I have to give a shout out to Falcon Tires for their hospitality this weekend. I also got a chance to go in one of their drift cars that they had. Falcon are basically really good at giving back to the fans. And so they have this drift show that they put on and the money goes towards a charitable organization. And um, I was put in one of the cars and I've only ever done two sort of passenger lap kind of experiences. One was with Jan Mardenberg going around Silverstone in a Geneta car. And I don't want to sound, I was ungrateful for it, but I see these passenger laps, right? And normally people are like screaming, they're shouting, they're so scared. I went round in this car and this is, like I said, nothing against Jan and his driving or anything like that, but I was expecting to be really scared. And actually I was really chilled. I was like going around Silverstone, looking at the weather, seeing if there's anybody in the grandstands. So who knows? Maybe I have a career as being a co-driver if I can be this cool under pressure when the, the car's like slamming it around different corners and power sliding and all that kind of stuff. But I had like not the same experience, but I was just buzzing at this drifting experience that I got to do. So there are four of the cars and... I went out sort of first and we did some drifting around. And drifting anyway is just the coolest thing. But then they make it into a competition. And so I was in this car. I looked like a right tip because I had a helmet on and then I had to wear like a blue hairnet so that my hair wasn't touching the helmet because other people always use them. I looked like a right, I looked like a dinner lady or something. It was certainly an interesting look for me. But we went out in these cars. We were going around the other cars, like literally drifting within a couple of centimeters of the next car. I, like any kind of wrong move. And it was like, bam, we we were in trouble. But um, my driver, he was so talented, um, did an amazing job. And I actually tried to film some of it when I was in the car both like of me and my reaction, but also what I was seeing going around. Um, and I'll have to share that on Instagram at some point because it's kind of hilarious, even though I say so myself. But yeah, like Falcon really took great care of me. I am super excited to hopefully, well, like I said, there was mention of maybe going to the 24 hour of Nürburgring next year. So if you're listening, Falcon, you know where to find me, <laughs> but no, genuinely, um, thank you again and please be sure to go and check them out on social media and things like that because they're a fantastic team their team manager is a woman called Steffi and she gave me an incredible tour um, I got to see inside all of like the trucks that you see that you always wonder what goes on behind the scenes of these closed doors and these um, interesting looking trucks so I got to have a little tour around there and she answered any questions that I might have. And just generally, they're like such a good group of people. So I will leave a link to their socials um, in the description of this episode. But yeah, thank you, Falcon, for being the reason that I was able to have such an amazing weekend at the Nürburgring.
Now, the second reason that I was at the Nürburgring over the weekend was that Red Bull were putting on an event which was a bit like a show run. So you had the likes of Yuki Tsunoda was there. Daniel Ricciardo was meant to be there driving something, but then obviously he's done this damage to his hand. So they brought in David Coulthard. But the big headline of the weekend was that Sebastian Vettel was going to be reunited with his RB7 car, nicknamed Kinky Kylie. I did a podcast episode on this when the news dropped. But yes, Sebastian Vettel had sort of emerged from hibernation and he was going to be making an appearance, driving this car around the Nordschleife. It was like the first time since Michael Schumacher um, had a, an F1 car gone around the Nordschleife. So it was like a big deal. And I got in touch with Red Bull and I thought, I've got to try to get an interview. Like I would, I just, I have to give it a go. And sure enough, they were so kind as to get me time with Sebastian. And I am all about honesty and transparency on this podcast, guys. So I'm going to tell you something very embarrassing. But when I got this text through to say that I had got an interview with Sebastian, do I tell this story? Oh, it's so embarrassing, but who cares? Like, right, let's go. I got this text through and I honestly, I had to reread it about four or five times because I couldn't tell if it said, have you got time with Sebastian or have got you time with Sebastian? And when my brain finally clicked into place, I got a little bit emotional. I won't lie to you. Um, now I know that you're not meant to have favorites and all of this kind of stuff. And generally I don't at all, but I think I can say that everybody has a bit of a soft spot for Sebastian Vettel in their hearts. When he retired at the end of last year, I was kind of obviously gutted for lots of reasons, but I really thought that like that was my chance that I wouldn't get a chance to meet him again. Like we all know that he is a little bit of a recluse. Like he only joined Instagram last year. He's a very private person. And apart from maybe appearing at the odd Grand Prix here and there, like I didn't really see where the opportunity would be to interview him, to, to meet him again. So when I got this confirmation that I was going to be chatting with him, your girl got a bit upset. Um, very quickly, like snapped out of it and was like, okay, like focus now, get some questions over. Sebastian was doing interviews before he did his proper run. So he'd done a little demo run, just making sure that he was happy, um, had it filmed, I guess, because all of it's being recorded and they want to do test runs to make sure the GoPros and things like that are working. We spoke to him and I say we because I did the interview with somebody else from Sports Illustrated who looks after the German site. Um, so the two of us were doing this interview. It was just amazing. Like we only had a very, very small time frame and like a space. I think all in all, my audio recording of it all was like nine minutes. And that included, I started recording beforehand in case I like, I get so paranoid that I'm going to forget to hit record. Um, and so all of that nine minutes included like introductions, um, a little bit of chatter beforehand, um, and then the actual like interview itself. So really we only had like five or six minutes for the interview, but he was so lovely and down to earth. I really thought that I'd be more nervous. I mean, we spoke about this on the last episode when I talked about interviewing Max Verstappen, but there weren't really many nerves at all. 
It was more just excitement and, like I said, appreciation that this is actually happening. But yeah, we got in there and I went over. I met Britta as well, who was lovely, such an like, awesome woman. And so, yeah, I met Britta and then I met Seb. And uh, we said that we we're from Sports Illustrated. And so we had a little conversation about that. And then he asked me where I'm from. And I was like, oh, from... Sports Illustrated, like an idiot and I said it again. And I was like, oh, you mean like location wise, where am I from? And so I told him that I'm from Brighton, which normally the way that I explain it is for motorsport people, I'm like, it's near Goodwood because I feel like they're more likely to know about Goodwood than they are Brighton. But sure enough, Seb was like, oh yeah, I know Brighton. And I said, really? And he's like, yeah, I've been there before. And I was flabbergasted by this. He said it was a long time ago, but he then, I was then like, did you go on the pier? Because that seems to be like one of the most famous things in Brighton. He's like, yeah, yeah, one on the pier. And I was already taken aback by the fact that Sebastian Vettel had been to Brighton. Like I said, it, uh, for me, having F1 drivers be near where you live is a very odd thing. Like even when they come to Goodwood, I'm like, oh my gosh, F1 drivers are only so many miles away from me. Like this feels really strange. But then it got even weirder because he said, oh, actually... I've recently been to New Haven and I was like, New Haven? And then Eastbourne. And I was like, sorry, what? You've you've been to Eastbourne? And to explain that to people that maybe aren't from the UK, Eastbourne is meant to be like this quiet seaside town. It's, quite, it's known for having quite an old population. Sorry to stereotype if you're from Eastbourne, but it is kind of known as that. Like it's known to be a bit of a granny central is Eastbourne. I'm, I mean, I've been there a few times and it's lovely, but it's the last place I would ever expect to find Sebastian Vettel. And so I was in almost shock that he had been to Eastbourne. And so I said to him, like, did you get spotted? And he's like, no, nothing. And I even looked it up on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. And I looked up like Vettel Brighton, Vettel New Haven, Vettel Eastbourne to see if anybody had gone I've just walked past this guy that really looked like Sebastian Vettel in Eastbourne, but no way could it be him. But like, no, he went completely under the radar and good for him because, you know, he, like I said, he's all about having his private life separate. So I'm really glad that he was able to have that experience, but it was just the weirdest thing of him, like picturing Sebastian Vettel holidaying in Eastbourne. <laughs> But yeah, the interview went really well. We spoke a lot about um, what it was like to drive around the Nordschleife. We spoke about race uh, without trace, which is the reason that he was there in the Red Bull. So he was using entirely e-fuels. And actually, from a sound perspective, because we watched him then later go around the circuit, it sounded absolutely fine. And I actually was there in Silverstone last year when he took the Williams 14B, I think it was, around Silverstone. And same kind of thing. Like, it still sounded amazing, but it was just using a sustainable fuel type. So we spoke about that. And then um, a couple of other things I asked him about. I don't want to say too many because I want people to read the article. But we spoke about the naming of his car for 2022 because as far as I was aware, he didn't name his car. And so I even said to him, can I give you a suggestion? And my suggestion was Paloma because that's the name of Anna de Armas's Bond girl in the latest uh, James Bond movie, No Time to Die. So you'll have to read the article to see if you thought that was a good idea or not. We spoke about what he's been doing away from F1. Um, I mentioned to him that he said that he liked to do carpentry. So he was telling me all about his new carpentry products that he's been making and projects. 
And just generally, it was the most wholesome interview. But it's so, like, he was so happy to just talk about these different things. We also spoke about, like, the future of F1 in Germany as well. But he was so just chilled and, like, I wasn't sure if he was going to give really short and simple answers. So I had a ton of questions prepped. But actually, he gave really detailed answers. And yeah, I was just like so happy to have had that experience and then asked for a picture um, once the interview had finished and we were talking as well after that. And he was on such a tight time schedule, but it was like he really wanted to be present in the moment. He wasn't a bit like, oh, yeah, hi, here's a picture. I'm off. Bye. Like he was so, so lovely about it and after we took the picture he was just sort of still around so I said to him and this is really embarrassing but I was like Seb I hope you know how adored and loved you are um because when he retired at the end of last year he was like oh no one's gonna remember me like he's such a silly man (laughs) of course people are gonna remember him yeah I said to him like you're amazing and there's so much love for you still and if I I think I said something like if I don't get a chance to meet you or interview you again like just thank you for everything that you've done you have had more of an impact in people's lives than you will know and uh yeah he was really like he seemed to be quite taken aback by it whether he was just like what are you on about woman I don't know but it was a really special nice experience and um, I actually got an email from Red Bull after the event to say there was really great feedback about the interview and that he really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this makes me so happy. So yeah, like I say, if you want to read that interview, then you'll have to keep an eye on Sports Illustrated. We also spoke about the fact that he's going to be at the Japanese Grand Prix and sort of why that is and the little project that he's working on for the Japanese Grand Prix. So you're going to have to read it next week to find out all about it. That was an amazing experience. It's been such a strange month, just generally. Like, I went to Zandvoort. I interviewed Max Verstappen, the current world champion, most likely going to be a three-time world champion. And now I'm interviewing Sebastian Vettel, one of my favorite drivers that was in F1. Like, it's so crazy. It just doesn't feel real. I know that lots of people wanted to know what it was like to interview Seb and to meet Seb. And I can tell you now that he is as charming and as down to earth and as lovely as you would expect. Okay, now the last part of this podcast, we should probably talk about the upcoming Singapore Grand Prix. There is a clip actually, and this is like a really old clip, which I feel like doesn't get the recognition it deserves of Daniel Ricciardo saying the word Singapore. And you know how he loves to um, always like with Pierre Gasly or Nico Hulkenberg, like all these different ones. He has a version of how he says Singapore and I can't get it out of my head. He goes like, Singapore. And it's so funny. Like I'll see if I can find the YouTube video that it's in. It's in one of the sit downs that he did um, when he was at Red Bull with Verstappen. Every time I hear Singapore, all I can think of is Singapore. 
Um, but anyway, it's very weird. And now you're going to have to go and find it. But anyway, yeah, Singapore is coming up this weekend. We've got a slightly adapted circuit layout. It's a night race. I love night races. I love Singapore. But you've got the heat, the humidity. Previously, Ferrari have done well at It's a, a circuit that's good for them. Red Bull as well, but then I feel like every circuit Red Bull seems to suit at the moment. Max Verstappen going for more records probably this weekend. And then after Singapore, we have Japan, which traditionally, oh, can get my words out there, traditionally can be very wet, which is exciting, but I feel like I'm getting a bit tired of the wet weekends now. I just want to have a nice normal weekend. Just one weekend without a rain shower, please. That's all I'm asking for, which is so different to how it used to be when it would literally be like, please, just a bit of rain to spice things up. But now every weekend is rain, it feels like. But yeah, then we have Japan where Seb will be on the ground. And then we have Qatar, which is after that. And for those three races, Williams are running a special livery. It's the return of an iconic golf livery and I'm super excited to see that on track. Obviously, McLaren ran something similar when they had golf as a partner in 2021. And that still, for me, is one of my favorite McLaren liveries. So hopefully this Williams livery will be equally as impressive. And especially under the lights, it's going to hopefully look really good. And talking of Williams, actually, I recently interviewed Jamie Chadwick, uh, which was also for Sports Illustrated, which should be going out later this week. Jamie is also somebody that I've really looked up to and idolized. I think she's an amazing representative for women in motorsport. And she has recently been competing in Indy Next, which is like a championship underneath IndyCar. And she's been doing really well in there. When I spoke to her, she had just had a season best finish of sixth in Portland and um yeah like I said she's somebody that's really a great role model and so we spoke about that transition from W series to um racing in Indy uh we spoke about her favorite cheat meals she's a girl that's partial to a bit of Chipotle and a bit of Chick-fil-A so that's a little scoop for you there. I don't know what you can do with that information, but do with it as you wish. And then we spoke about her getting an F1 opportunity. But I was asking her about her super license point situation because in order to get like an FP1 rookie test or something like that, that's mandatory for teams to do this year, you have to meet a certain amount of super license points. And she said she didn't actually know how many super license points she had, which is good to know, but also bad because... You should, a driver should know how many super license points they have. I, I really hope that the FIA have like a proper overhaul of their super license point systems. And I know this was a popular topic last year because of the whole Colton Herter situation. Did he have enough super license points? How many did he actually have? Nobody really knew. Yeah, I feel like there needs to be something that's better than the current system to track how many super license points a driver has. So I don't know how it works if the FIA have like some sort of Excel spreadsheet that they can just reference or what. Um, but we were talking about that and she said that when she feels that she's ready, because she doesn't feel she's quite there yet for an FP1 session, like she'll have that discussion with James Vowles, then they'll sort out the super license situation after that. Um, but yeah, like a real delight to chat with Jamie. And yeah, I've just generally been keeping quite busy. I, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Small Talk Podcast is hopefully going to have a little bit of an overhaul. Um, I'm going to record these podcasts on my phone. 
so that we can um, edit them into clips. So hopefully that'll make things a bit better. And then who knows, maybe later down the line, um, I can actually post videos of these podcasts. But yeah, um, that is kind of everything there. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode. I know it's a slightly different one. And we're going to be getting more into regular episodes, hopefully weekly episodes, although I'm not going to promise anything completely, but I'm going to really give it my best shot to do weekly episodes. And I know you've heard this a million times before. Okay, we'll do an episode next week talking all about the Singapore Grand Prix and any kind of news. I'm really keen to get back into that kind of thing. And yeah, hope you guys have an amazing week. I hope you enjoy the Singapore Grand Prix. Let me know um, what you guys think of the NLS and how that sounds. Thank you again to Falcon for sending me out there. And let me know actually uh, where is on your motorsport bucket list? Where would you like to go next? Thank you so much for listening, guys. And I will speak to you in the next episode. Take care and goodbye. Goodbye.